Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. You might have noticed we uh, enjoy fellowship around food uh, here at Maranatha. Uh, during the school year, we have this uh, weekly Wednesday night meal uh, served by a crew of ladies in our kitchen and, and uh, during Lent by our youth. And after our services here, almost every Sunday we have coffee and refreshments after the service. Uh, several times a year we have those potluck dinners, one of my favorite things about the ministry. Uh, those times they get to try out all kinds of varieties of hot and cold dishes. Now I want to ask you about this here. Uh, what if we changed how we do those meals? And we had everyone just bring their own food and no one shared. Some people might bring uh, steak and lobster and expensive wine. Others might bring ramen noodles and Kool-Aid. Those that had lots of money uh, would go first. They get to sit in the cushy chairs and, and those with little would sit on the floor in another room. How do you think that approach would affect relationships here in our congregation? And, and what if when we celebrated the Lord's Supper here, we put people in different categories according to their social status? Uh, would that help to develop a loving, close-knit congregation? What do you think? Well, what I just described really seems like a good example of how not to do church life. Corporate worship and relationships among believers are important biblical components of the Christian life. And, and this summer, some of my messages are going to be looking at different angles on corporate worship and, and congregational life. And, and since today is Communion Sunday, uh, my message is based on this passage in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, where he gives some important instructions concerning the Lord's Supper. And I invite you to look with me at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, beginning with verse 17. And would you stand in reverence to God's word as we read today? <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For if in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let them eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let us pray. Lord God, as we meditate on this passage and we consider the uh, situation there at the church at Corinth, and we look at what you, Jesus, intended for the Lord's Supper, we, we pray that uh, you would clarify some things in our minds and our hearts, and Lord, that we would each prepare our hearts uh, for receiving the Lord's Supper each time that we gather for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You might have figured out that the examples that I shared in my introduction today were a bit similar to what was happening in, in the life of the congregation at Corinth. So let's begin there and, and consider, first of all, then the uncommendable example there in Corinth. Now we need to keep in mind that, that most all of the congregations had begun as a result of the Apostle Paul's um, missionary efforts begun really, you might say, as house churches. They, they didn't have church buildings built for their weekly meetings. And so congregations of believers gathered in homes, and, and folks that were wealthier would have the larger homes, and, and thus were able to accommodate more worshipers. And, and worship in such a, a setting then would also be less formal than our services are here in the sanctuary. And, and in Corinth, then, a fellowship meal would be shared when they celebrated the Lord's Supper. However, Paul was appalled by the way in which it was being carried out. And he stated in his letter to them, in verse 20 here, when you come together like this, it's not really even the Lord's Supper that you eat, because it is so far from what the Lord Jesus intended. John Stott, in his commentary, describes what was taking place there as, as an obnoxious kind of snobbishness between the rich and the unrich. For this fellowship meal then, they, they didn't spread out all the provisions on a common table and, and then let people go through the line and, and select anything they wanted. The host likely had his richer friends eat with him in the central dining area you know, where all had generous provisions and some even had too much to drink. Other folks ate their own more meager provisions in kind of the outer rooms of the house. Each group... Uh, kept to themselves, and, and there was no sense in a being one in the family of the Lord. Um, and these arrangements intended really to emphasize divisions within the congregation rather than fellowship. And so based primarily then on this passage of Scripture, let me describe, first of all, some things that the Lord's Supper is not. The Lord's Supper is not a BYO. Uh, it's not a bring-your-own provisions. When we come together for the Lord's Supper, we come empty-handed, and we together then receive what has already been prepared for us. And that is true both physically and spiritually. 
I think of the, what the hymn writer says, where he says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. The, the Lord's Supper is not bring your own provisions. It's also then not a self-indulging meal. The Lord's Supper is very different from our potlucks. Uh, it's very different from the meal that the wealthier Corinthians were indulging in. Um, with the Lord's Supper, no one eats um, enough physically to fill up their stomachs. The physical provisions are just pointing us to Jesus who fills us spiritually. Also, the Lord's Supper cannot be then a contradiction of the gospel. The gospel offers generous provisions of grace for anyone that will come to Christ. And the Lord's Supper then points us to that good news. And so it can't then be observed in a way that categorizes us into different levels of recipients. The Lord's Supper is also not a re-sacrificing of Christ. And I say this because in this area we do have a vastly different perspective than the Roman Catholic Church. And though I very much appreciate the sense of reverence that we observe in a Catholic Mass, for instance, we have to disagree with their teaching that in the Lord's Supper we are re-offering Jesus' death as a sacrifice to appease the Heavenly Father. Hebrews chapter 10, for instance, makes it very clear Christ's sacrifice is complete. There it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Well, we've considered some things in that the Lord's Supper is not. Now let's dig deeper into the text here and, and see what the Lord's Supper is. The Lord's Supper is something that was instituted by Jesus Christ. It wasn't dreamed up by Paul or, or the 12 disciples or some other church leaders in, in the early church as kind of a creative way to remember Jesus' death on the cross. No, Paul reminds the Corinthians where the idea came from here. And he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, then he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus told his followers to continue to do what he led them in that night before Judas betrayed him and he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were to continue to, after this, do this with bread and wine then, commemorate his death for them again and again. Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper, then, is, is a look back at the cross of Christ. In verse 26, for, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Over and over, in, in the life of the Christian congregation, then, we gather together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And when we do so, we are reminding each other, Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and for me. And on that cross, then, all of the guilt of our sins, yours and mine, was laid on him. And he bore the judgment of God, then, that we deserved for our sins. And so because of the cross of Christ, we can know that we're forgiven. The Lord's Supper is a look back at the cross of Christ. It's also a look ahead to Christ's return. And we keep gathering, then, for the Lord's Supper, and we keep looking back on the cross until 
Christ returns in glory. Like the hymn writer says in, in a verse of that hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross, how long? Till my trophies at last I lay down. I'll cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. And so for us who are believers in, in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we continue to look back at that Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, after which he then instituted the Lord's Supper. And we also continue to look ahead to another meal, to that great banquet feast in heaven someday, where we will then again, we will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus. The Lord's Supper is also then a time for us to have some self-examination. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord, and so let a person examine himself, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul speaks here of the need for each person who will receive the Lord's Supper to examine himself or herself. Now, when you think about an exam, I think of, for instance, going to a doctor for a physical examination, and you know, he has various instruments to discern our physical health. And he can tell, for instance, and if our blood pressure is high, or if there's clogging of the arteries going on, or if there's cancer somewhere, or various other um, bodily maladies. And we might even tell the doctor, you know, I, I am just fine. But his instruments tell us the truth. Well, Paul speaks here of the need for a self-exam before taking communion. And he's not talking about what we look like on the outside or even the condition of our physical body at all. And so examining ourselves before going forward for communion here at Maranatha shouldn't be asking ourselves, did I dress nice enough with the, are the clothes I'm wearing today okay for me to go up front? Or, or they shouldn't be asking ourselves, you know, are other people going to think I look fat or something like that? It's to be an inner examination where we ask ourselves, am I being honest with God about things in my life? Am I calling things sin that God calls sin? And am I asking his help to change? And the Bible tells us about this, that our human heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick. Who can know it? And so then we really do need to pray. And we need to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. That self-examination involves then an honest confession of sin and also then asking yourselves, am I trusting then in Jesus' death on the cross to cover my sins? We, we practice uh, open communion of sorts here at Maranatha in that you don't need to be a member in order to partake. And we do that because we recognize that none of us can fully discern the condition of another person's heart. And so it, it can't even be mine as a pastor to tell you if you're worthy or not. Instead, I share a word of exhortation and encourage each of you then to search your own heart. And we recognize that it's possible then for somebody to partake in an unworthy manner. It's possible for someone to just go forward for communion because everyone else in their pew did so and not take the self-exam. And you're exhorted here not to do that and that it's even dangerous to do that. Taking this self-exam before partaking of communion should also then lead each of us to an understanding that the Lord's Supper 
is intended partially to be a unifying event for all sinners. When we come together around the communion rail and we bow on our knees, it is a beautiful picture of equality. We're all on the same level, young and old, rich and poor, rough characters and those outwardly polished individuals, but all of us sinners saved by grace. The Lutheran Study Bible describes it this way, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to offer forgiveness of sins, which creates unity with Christ and unity with one another. We call it communion for a reason. In in, uh, chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, there it says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread and we who are many, are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The Lord's Supper is is a unifying event among sinners. It's also then a personal recognition of Jesus Christ's presence. And this point is maybe a bit tricky to try to explain, because within the Christian church there are different understandings of, of what to do with those words of Jesus when he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is given for you, and this is my blood, which is shed for you for forgiveness of sins. And there are those that have a perspective that takes these words literally to the point of believing that when Jesus passed around the bread and the wine, they had changed into his body and blood and were no longer bread and wine. That view is what's known as transubstantiation. There are others who say, well, he doesn't give his body and blood. That's impossible. He gives bread and wine as symbols of his body and blood. However, Jesus did say, according to all three of the Gospels that record the Lord's Supper, this is my body. This is my blood. And so Lutherans kind of end up landing in the middle on this. We, We take him at his word, and we don't try to explain how, other than to say that invisibly present in, with, and under the bread and wine is the body and blood of Christ. And there's a bit of a mystery to it all. But we recognize Christ's real presence in the Lord's Supper. There are two other things I should mention uh, that the Lord's Supper is. It's a new covenant relationship with the Lord and with fellow believers. Verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now a covenant is a binding relationship. And the old covenant was one that God made with Abraham and his descendants. And under the old covenant, also then Moses received the Ten Commandments and also instituted the Passover meal. It became the tradition and practice ever after. Well, the new covenant comes with a new meal. It's the Lord's Supper. And both are covenants that God made and he bound himself to. They're not covenants that are binding equal agreements between equal parties or something like that. Uh, For instance, I think of the example of a bank loan. And uh, with a bank loan, the, the bank agrees to loan us some money and we agree to pay it back. And it's binding on both of us. No, here God promises to offer us free grace. 
and, and we humbly receive it and offer it to others. And God's word then binds us to also, then uh, us who believe, to also each other as well. Uh, under the old covenant, animals died. And they shed their blood in order to demonstrate the seriousness of our sin. And God declared there's no forgiveness without shedding of blood. Under the new covenant, Jesus died. And he shed his blood that we might have forgiveness of all of our sins. And so then the Lord's Supper is an offering of God's grace and forgiveness. Verse 28 for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sin. That's in Matthew chapter 26. And so we recognize the Lord's Supper as a means. A means of God giving us his grace. A vehicle God uses to bring his saving grace and forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ to each of us personally as we receive it. And as the bread and the wine is served... It's served with those words, the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. There's one more thing in this text I, I need to address today. There's a terminology in here that talks about discerning the body, or another translation, judging the body rightly. Verse 29, if anyone who eats for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. This is connected to the reminder earlier to examine oneself before receiving the Lord's Supper. So then what does it mean to not discern the body rightly? Well, there are two, two perspectives, as I understand it. One of them is the understanding of the body to be referring to the Christian church as the body of Christ. And, and so then not discerning the body rightly would be not recognizing that we as fellow believers are all members of the body of Christ. And, and we are then bound together in one body. And, and that we need then to all get along um, and, and to forgive each other. And this means then that, that, that if there is unforgiveness of a fellow Christian in our congregation, then it would be hypocritical to then come together to the communion rail, seeking God's forgiveness, but refusing to give forgiveness to a brother and sister in the Lord. The second perspective on this terminology of discerning the body rightly has to do with not recognizing the special presence of the risen Lord in the sacrament of the altar. Not believing then that Jesus' body and blood are really invisibly present in the bread and the wine. And it is that understanding that, that makes our brothers and sisters, for instance, in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, practice what is sometimes called closed communion. It's out of concern that, that people would fully agree with their doctrine in order to be unified as they come to the Lord's table. And no matter which way we understand this, this business of discerning the body rightly, Recognize that Paul presents here the seriousness of casual observance of the Lord's Supper. Because you see, there's, there's a possibility. The possibility of judgment rather than blessing. And Jesus has given us the Lord's Supper as a special gift, as a way of individually confirming to us that as we confess our sins and believe in him, there is full forgiveness for all of our sins. 
But he doesn't want anyone to think that the mere outward act of receiving bread and wine on Communion Sunday without an honest heart response wipes their slate clean. There's a need to also then be desiring to live in repentance and and personal faith in Jesus. And and if that's lacking, then instead of receiving forgiveness, one eats and drinks judgment on himself. And, And Paul believed that to be so serious that there were those that God was dealing with in that congregation in, um, in discipline um, but w- through sickness and, and even some who had died because of it. A rather sober way to end that message. And so let me just again remind you, though, what we have as we partake of the Lord's Supper here. The Lord's Supper is something instituted by Jesus Christ. It's a look back at the cross of Christ. It's a look ahead at Christ's return. It's a time for self-examination. Uh, It's a unifying event among us who are sinners. It's a personal recognition of Christ's presence. It's a new covenant relationship with the Lord and with fellow believers. And it is an offering to us of God's grace and forgiveness for all sinners. So you have the opportunity shortly to come forward for communion. What do you receive when you come up here? What do you receive when you worldly partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, You receive bread and wine. You also receive the body and blood of Christ invisibly present with the bread and the wine. You receive forgiveness of sin as you honestly confess your sins. And if you have forgiveness of sin, then you have life and salvation as well. And then that brings us together, unified in closer fellowship with fellow believers, and we're strengthened in our personal Christian faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus' love for us, for his willingness to go to the cross. We thank you for that night in which he gathered with those disciples before that took place, and he instituted the Lord's Supper as a gift to them, a reminder of what he'd gone through for them, that they would continue to do in remembrance of him over and over again. And ever since then, for 2,000 years plus, Christians have gathered and and have celebrated the Lord's Supper and and paused to remember uh, your love for us and your death on the cross for us and and what it accomplished. And and Lord, we thank you that your desire for us, as we're honest with you about our sin, is that we would also then know that it's forgiven. And so, Lord, we pray that even as we partake of communion together today, uh, that you would help each of us to examine our hearts. Lord, that you'd search our hearts and help us that we would live in in repentance and faith. And Lord, then that you would strengthen our assurance that our sins are forgiven, even as we partake today. And that you'd bind us together as fellow believers and use us to be witnesses of that amazing thing, of your grace and forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.